Open Books with Claire is a proud member of the Create Vine and is produced by Mecco Radio. Welcome back to Open Books with Claire. On Open Books with Claire, we explore characters and how they drive the stories we love. I'm your host, Claire. So today, I'm going to give a short, spoiler-free look at the book, The Mark of Athena. Don't worry, following the spoiler-free section, I, along with my guest hosts, will dive into a spoiler look at the book as well. Uh, So, The Mark of Athena, it was written by Rick Riordan, Um, and so it was released on October 2nd of 2012, and during its first week, it sold 237,000 copies. So it's a third-person point of view, and we follow um, Annabeth, Percy, Piper, and Leo. I mean, we follow all the characters, but we follow their uh, storyline specifically. And so this book is the third book in the Heroes of Olympus series, and uh, so all of the gang is back together, and, uh, you know, they're getting ready to go, uh, I guess, kick some giant butt. I don't know. Anyways, on to our spoilers. So to join me in that conversation, I have two guest hosts today. So I have Cambry and Emily. Um, I'm Cambry. I've been in a couple of episodes before. And if you want to find my writing on Wattpad.com, my username is Jensocam, J-E-N-S-O-C-A-M. I've got some Percy Jackson fanfics that you can check out, and I... Love to see you guys over there. Um, and hi, my name's Emily. I've been on a couple episodes before too, and I really love books just because of the relatability of it that we all can find a little piece of ourselves in the writing. That's that's awesome. Yeah, so welcome. You know, welcome back. Both of you have been wonderful guest hosts in previous episodes. So super excited for today. Uh, so Emily, would you like to just give us a brief, you know, overview of what happens in this book? Sure. So this is, I believe, the third book in the Heroes of Olympus, um, and it basically is the combining of the two different um, settings within the series. So we have the Roman camp, I think Camp Jupiter, and then we have um, Camp Half-Blood, and these characters are kind of melded together in this novel as Percy... Um, and Jason were switched in the beginning of the series, and now we see them switching back, coming together to go on a quest um, to defeat Gaia, the Earth Mother. Um, okay, and so basically they all set off on the ship together, um, and they're facing a lot of opposition. They're up against a lot of monsters, and there's a lot of things going on um, within the group. Um, first, Leo accidentally starts a war with the other camp, the Roman camp, and so they have to be on the run from the Romans. And at the same time, the main point of this book is Athena's daughter, um, Annabeth. She's following the mark of Athena. And so throughout this book is just her trying to discover um, like, what is the mark of Athena and how can she um, accomplish what her mother has sent her to do. Um, yeah, and if you guys would like to pitch in, what did you guys think was the climax of this book? I would say that it's about the time when they all split up at the end. Like, Hazel, Frank, and Leo are underground trying to find Nico. Um, but that ends up being kind of a diversion, a detour. And they end up getting trapped there. 
and Percy, Jason, and Piper are stuck in that nymphorium, and the water's coming down, and they're all going to drown, and Annabeth's all by herself trying to find the Mark of Athena, and I think watching each of them solve their dilemmas at the same time, and then come together to go save Annabeth, I think that whole sequence would be what I consider the climax. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I think it even leads to the kind of inconclusive resolution because all of these individual conflicts are solved throughout the climax, um, including Annabeth finding like the statue pantheon. Um, and so the end, what was your view on the end, Claire, where they kind of fall into the chasm? Well, I was kind of shocked. Definitely um, shocked, but I think it needed to happen. You know, like we, we needed, like they, they spent the entire book trying to work together as a team and trying to learn uh, where each other's strengths are, where their weaknesses are, how they can, you know, band together. And then, you know, something like that happens, you know, where they, uh, where they're separated, um, seeming permanently, like everyone is shocked and, you know, they don't know what they can do to fix it. So now they're back at square one, having to learn to work together again um, without some of their strongest people. And so while it was a shocking ending, it also needed to happen for the development of the other characters. I agree with that. Um, Like Hera even tells Percy in The Son of Neptune, I think, that he's the glue that holds the seven together, you know? And then he and Annabeth, who holds him together, fall into Tartarus. And suddenly the crew has to be like, oh, now what? And like, sometimes Jason kind of steps up as the leader and sometimes Hazel and sometimes Piper. I don't think Frank's really a a leader most of the time, but he's got a few shining moments in the next book. But yeah, I, I agree, Claire, like, it needed to happen. I think when I first read it, I was, you know, shocked, but also I was just in that stage of reading where like you've been reading the climax and you just can't put the book down. And then that happened. And I like, it was one of those moments where you want to chuck the book across the room, you know? Um, But then I've read it so many times and I actually love that they fall into Tartarus because it makes the house of Hades, such a great book. Like, I don't know if house of Hades would have been as good as it is without those Percy and Annabeth moments together alone. And like, I think to me, it's most significant because up until Mark of Athena, Percy and Annabeth were separated in this series. And so sure they came back together and it was great in Mark of Athena, but there was so much other stuff going on. You know, they had five or six other people on the ship that they had to deal with. And then the then they fell and they're alone together. Sure, it's not exactly an ideal situation, but they're together. And I think that that was an important part of their relationship. Um, I even think it's really conclusive to one of Percy's questions throughout the book is if he had to choose between the crew and Annabeth, would he be able to sacrifice her for the rest of the crew and the answer was no um just because he had the choice whether to let go of Annabeth and go help the rest of the crew 
or to fall with her to Tartarus. So I think, yeah, it was like it needed to happen because it kind of answered the question that was posed within the plot. So That's very true. Yeah, there's definitely um, a lot of good parts that happen in this book. I have favorite, you know, moments that happen. But while we're on the topic of Percy and Annabeth, let's talk about Annabeth. Um, because this is the first time that we get to hear her perspective um, of everything. Um, even though we know that she spent the lost hero, she was looking for Percy. She spent the son of Neptune looking for Percy. Like she spent a long time. I think it's over six months or something. I think Percy had been asleep for like six or seven months and then he was awake for like a month or so. So I think in total it was like eight months that, she, that he was missing. Yeah. There you go. So Annabeth has spent a lot of time searching and then she finally, you know, uh, finds him, but then she has the mark of Athena to follow. Um, and I know that she's, she's a strong character, right? Like you, you get to see her strength in everything that she does. Um, but what do you guys think about her development in this book? I just think, like you said, it kind of shows how her past traumas have contributed to what she prioritizes now. Like, it really goes over her relationship with her dad and her mother, um, Athena, especially the distance she's had between them. So even when she was in um, kind of the darkest moment of the book where she was with um, the weaver, um, she kind of thought she took the, oh my gosh, ambrosia, and she thought of her father. So a lot of the strength that she draws on to get through all these hard trials um, mainly comes from like things she had to overcome in her childhood. So I thought that was really interesting, and it shows character development throughout the whole like Percy Jackson franchise. So Yeah, I, I thought it was really cool that we got to see her perspective, because I mean... I read the first Percy Jackson series, and so I knew Annabeth really well, but those are from Percy's perspective, and so we never got to see how she was thinking. And because we're hearing the story from Percy's side, and they're having they're like awkward teenagers, right? And so Percy like concludes all of these things about Annabeth. And so it's a little bit difficult to know what she's actually thinking because Percy is honestly just as confused as we are. Because, like, one moment she wants to hit him and the next moment she wants to kiss him. And it's like, well, what what do you want, woman? So I liked having her perspective, not just for Percy and Annabeth's relational things, though that was really cute. It was cool, like Emily said, to see her background and, like, how important that was. Because it did play a little bit of a role in the, or, um, the Percy Jackson and the Olympians series but it like especially with the role she had with her parents I didn't really get enough of that and so it was cool to see that played out in in her character yeah definitely yeah and we get to see a lot of her and I mean Annabeth she's one of my favorites I mean obviously it's really hard to pick between all of them they're all kind of like at the same levels with some of them being like slightly higher than the others but I like Annabeth and I like her strength, but I also like that we get to see a little bit of weakness in her here. Because, I agree. Yeah, because, you know, she she has a place to continue forward to kind of thing. Yeah, kind of talking about that, we can talk about this in um, Blood of Olympus more, but 
after Mark of Athena. And then, like, Annabeth doesn't get a break, right? She goes from this horrible experience underneath Rome, fighting a gigantic spider, which is, of course, her greatest fear, right? Immediately after that, she falls into Tartarus. Like, and it's just amazing. Like, she's super strong and everything, but you see it wear on her in the last book. And I thought that was kind of sad, but also very good to see because sometimes I think we idolize certain characters because they have no, like they're, they're awesome and they're always awesome. Like Percy's a little bit like that. Like he has weaknesses, but they don't matter as much, you know, like because he and Annabeth are always a team. But what is Percy without Annabeth? And so when you start seeing Annabeth kind of mentally break down in a lot of ways, that gets a little scary because if they're like this dynamic duo and Annabeth is kind of the strength of their relationship in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. She's definitely, <laughs> she's definitely got a lot of strength to her. I think another character that we see um, develop I guess, in a way, is Leo. So, like, we get to see his chapters, and we saw his chapters in The Lost Hero. And Leo seems to struggle a lot with a little bit of self-worth, almost. Like, trying to, you know, figure out where he stands. First, he's trying to figure out, you know, his relationship with Jason and Piper. And now he's trying to figure out where he's placed um, in this group of people. Because, I mean, they're awesome demigods, right? Like, some of the strongest out there. So he's trying to figure out where he is. And I think that's just kind of interesting to see is Leo's perspective during this book. Um, I also think it's really important to recognize his kind of gifted empathy for everyone around him. He is an outcast, but because of that outside perspective, he's really able to relate to those around him. Um, I give the example of when he's talking to Frank um, and he talked about the loss of his mother, and he was really able to connect with that just because they didn't have an established relationship, but he's kind of searching for commonalities with other people. And so I think that kind of brought everyone together, and he is kind of the glue. Everyone equally um, is annoyed by him, but they're also equally dependent on what he contributes to the group. And I think he just struggles to see that. So I think what we could talk about with Percy is the way that this kind of sets up him and Jason to be enemies, which of course lasts for about five seconds because <laughs> they just, they just like each other too much, I guess. But I kind of think that Rick um, missed out on a really cool opportunity to create some discord, you know, like Jason and Percy are both really great characters and the thing is, is of course, all of the fans were going to side with Percy no matter what, because we just have known him for longer. Um, but uh, I think it could have been really fun if if Rick had played up on that a little, a little bit more than he did. It felt a little bit like everybody thought they were going to be enemies because Poseidon and Zeus or Jupiter or whatever. And then the... Eidolon ghost people like um, possessed them and made them fight each other. So there was just a few hints of it, of a little bit of animosity, but they're bros and 
I love that they're bros, but I think it would have been really fun to see them like overcome some hurdles first to become bros. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I love Percy's chapters, and I think that that's a really interesting aspect of them is that there's kind of oh Jason, how 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 are how is Percy and Jason gonna react to each other because they're both leaders of the other camp, so. You know, that's very true. There definitely was some moments where you're like, ooh, you know, what's going to happen, you know? Yeah, but then they, it was all fine. Gonna, right? <laughs> and then, yeah, and then nothing happened, and they're just like, we're cool, you know? It's like, sorry, I hit you in the head. Right, like, you know? I think the first example is, like, in the first couple of chapters, and it's actually from Annabeth's perspective, if I remember right, but they're, like, eating a meal with the Romans, and they're, like, talking about, oh, yeah, we want to go on this quest, you know, and then... Octavian's like, dude, we have to like think about the fact that we now have three praetors, which cannot be a thing. And then uh, Jay or Percy is like, well, now look at it this way: like now me and Jason both outrank you. And then Jason gives him like a fist bump, and it's like, okay, obviously they're not enemies, right? Like they're bros, like from the from the get go. So I just thought it was a little bit weird that they kept like suggesting that they could be enemies when there was really no substance to that. I, yeah, I don't know. I think having them work together was important just because of all the external conflicts that were happening at that time. Like they deal with so much kind of every second of every chapter, of every part of the book. Um, so adding it might've made it more complex, but it might be really hard to keep it all cohesive. So I, I understand why he had them bros just because it's simpler to write that way. But I, I'm, yeah, make it really more like more interesting if they had been enemies. Um, I also think there's a lot of conflict with every single member of the crew just because each of them are leaders. Like if you look at each of their backstories, they all have proven themselves in some way. And that's why they're part of the seven. So I think even if they all had to overcome hurdles first before just immediately accepting each other, that might have made it even more complex as well. Yeah, it would have added, you know, maybe another couple hundred pages to the books. <laughs> I mean, hey, more of the seven. That's that's just a party, so. <laughs> Which I would be fine with personally, yeah. but maybe you guys disagree with this, but I feel like there's a lot that happened that wasn't talked about. Like, that wasn't something that we actually watched in the books. Like, they, like, mention things later on in other books that we don't actually ever see. And I kind of, like, really wish that I had. Like, things like Percy sending letters to his mom, which he says that he did, but, like, we don't ever see that happening. And, like, I that's one thing that I really was looking forward to is seeing his mom again at the end of the series. And I, I don't know. Did you guys feel like um, we missed out on some seven bonding time that wasn't really talked about? Uh, well, I think there's definitely some moments that that we did miss. I mean, you know, like you said, they do mention that some things happened. Um, but then, you know, like giving that description was skipped. Um, and yeah, <laughs> it definitely would have added something to the book. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with the book now as it is. Like, it's still a really good book, but you would have for sure. I, it's my favorite one of the series, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would have added something different to their dynamic, I guess. All right, so 
the last one we haven't talked about who has a chapter is Piper. And now, for anyone who, you know, had listened to the other ones, we all know I like Piper more or less. I don't know. Whereas I have iffy opinions about Piper. (laughs) Yeah. Piper in the first book is still working towards, you know, becoming who she is in the later books, you know. But in The Mark of Athena, I guess, I don't know. I feel like we kind of see her start to explore the possibility of um, gaining some different skills. I agree. But it's not, you know, I think most of her development happens in the House of Hades. Spoilers, you know. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. When she's forced to take command after Annabeth and Percy fall. Yeah, Um, yeah, I, I think... I agree with that. I still don't know that I would consider her among my favorite of the seven, but um, I do like the little scenes where she kind of takes the lead, like where she uses her charm speak to get rid of the Eidolons. And when she leads Percy and Jason into the Nymphorium and like little spots like that are just really refreshing there are other conversations that she has specifically with Jason that still bug me a little bit because that Aphrodite part of her is coming out and she's like more worried about like her relationship in some spots than she is about like the life-threatening situations that are happening around her um but she is getting better at you know I'm, I'm starting to like her more in this book I definitely um, appreciate her more than you guys do. <laughs> She's one of my favorite characters, um, especially just because of representation within this book. Uh, she is a Native American, and I really like that she draws on her experiences of oppression um, and brings them into the novel. And she talks about how this is hot like the res, and she's like in this cave, or like it's just crazy to me how she can add to the conversation or add to the plot that way. And also I think she's um, kind of raised and brought up to be a little more self-conscious of her authority. Um, She's definitely a leader, like a natural leader, but you don't see that in this book because she's scared, like she's scared to lose her relationship. Um, And she's terrified if she used her charm speak, she'll become just like her mother. So I think it's a lot more of fear holding her back versus being concerned with herself only. I just think it's, she had to learn and to become more courageous and learn from those around her to become a better leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely appreciate um, all of that about her. And I mean, I do like Piper. She, she has always been one of my top out of um, all of them, but, um, and yes, definitely that she adds um, her, her native American experiences and um yeah that was cool yeah well i i liked seeing those bits yeah and all of the 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 cherokee stories um i like that because i mean i'm a big i'm a history fan mythology legends all of that that's why i like these books because it combines all of these myths and legends uh into what they would be if they were real and i mean to the people who who had them they were real what were your guys' opinions on having Hazel as, like, a character whose mind is kind of in the past? Like, what were your guys' perspectives on that? 
Well, I think she's a very interesting character. Hazel is one of my favorites, too. I mean, obviously, I say that, you know, just about every character. Just all of them are my favorite. But, like, Hazel's background um, is really interesting. And the way that she um, is trying to work through it and move past it. And I love her connection to Leo. That's, like, beautiful. Yes, that was so crazy. Well, and I think... That's not only important to their characters, but, like, I felt like it was really significant because it connected her to Leo and Leo to her and to Frank. Like, those three have, like, a very interesting dynamic, which is really important considering what happens at the end of the series to Leo and how he trusts both Hazel and Frank with his secret. Um, which I won't say in case people haven't read it yet. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think it's that that little tidbit um, where they had that flashback together was was really crucial for their relationship and for things that happened later, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, Hazel definitely, she definitely helps connect the two because I know that like Frank and Leo at first were like, estranged and everything because Frank is all like, you know, stay away from Hazel, you know, because we're a thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, then Leo Leo has the fire thing and Frank gets uncomfy around the fire, so. Yeah. Yeah, no, she definitely helps with that. Yeah. It was just so interesting to see that in Frank because Frank's such a nice guy. Like, <laughs> he's just... This adorable teddy bear, you know? I mean, not that he can't kick butt when he wants to, because he totally can. But he's just a sweetheart, you know? And to see him, like, like they knew Leo for, like, 0.5 seconds. And sure, Leo was the one who kind of got blamed for firing on Camp Jupiter, which sucks and kind of does throw him into a suspicious light I admit yeah (laughs) but like immediately Frank was like I don't like you and Leo I can I can see Leo being obnoxious if I met him in person (laughs) you know I love I think he's hilarious to read but I think if I met him in person I would find him obnoxious but um yeah, I think it was just really, really interesting that Leo brought out that um, attitude in Frank because that seems so contradictory to his normal character. But I think it helped develop him also because we see him develop more in um, the House of Hades as well. And I think that there. Leo and Frank's relationship kind of helps that along as well. Yeah. I also think that Frank was often used as like kind of a comedic relief within the book, like when he turned into a koi fish when they were in um, Forcey's, his aquarium, Um, and also like all the different animals he turned into. I think most of his purpose within this book was just to make us laugh, to kind of take our minds off of the crazy events that had just happened. I don't know. It was just interesting to not necessarily see a side of him, but more see how others viewed him and how it uplifted their spirits during, um, yeah, just attacked by monsters and stuff like that. Yeah, he definitely has a 
has some of those moments, and Leo definitely takes advantage of those moments. <laughs> so I know we talked about uh, Percy and Animeth falling into Tartarus being uh, kind of a shock, but was there anything that kind of anything else that kind of surprised you about the book? Oh, Percy's fear of drowning was kind of weird. Um, he he's he develops it because in the Son of Neptune he fell into some almost like quicksand. They call it muskog, I think, um, and it just like sucked him into the ground, and he of course couldn't breathe. But luckily Hazel was able to rescue him. But um, that ignited some fear of suffocating or not being able to breathe. And so there's a, a scene where he and Frank get stuck in a giant fish tank and water comes down on them and Percy freaks out a little bit. Even though he's a son of Poseidon and can breathe underwater, he has a little bit of uh, paranoia about drowning. And I thought that was really interesting that Rick decided to do that. Um, and Percy himself, I think, makes the connection to um, Thalia, who is afraid of heights, even though she's a daughter of Zeus. And Jason, who's a daughter of, or a daughter, a son of Jupiter, can fly. And he posits that maybe if that, like, Thalia wasn't afraid of heights, she might also be able to fly. <laughs> um, and so he starts freaking out about, like, what if I just get so afraid of drowning that I stop being able to breathe under the water? Um, luckily, he doesn't get to that point. And he kind of overcomes that fear. But I thought that was pretty surprising that he developed that fear of, of drowning, even though he's had countless times in the water where he can breathe and it's totally fine. Like he feels at home in the water. And then all of a sudden he starts not feeling at home in the water. I thought that was interesting. What surprised me the most wasn't like a particular event. It was kind of a reoccurring thing where they were sent to individuals that were, they were told that they would help them, like the Ichthystor or the Mer people. And they're like, yeah, they'll help you. They'll give you these clues. But whenever we got to that part, like nothing really happened. Maybe they said one or two things that they already knew and they had to keep moving on their journey. So I, I just thought that was really interesting that it kind of um, climaxed to those parts and then nothing would happen. And we just kind of move along with the story. So I thought that was very interesting that it was kind of a suspense to wait for these events to happen and they just casually happen. Like um, Annabeth, when she was visiting the river god to start her task of finding the mark of Athena they were just kind of they rode up on a motorbike and like okay let's go instead of something crazy happening so that definitely surprised me a lot mm -hmm. yeah yeah for me I think um it was kind of just the situations that they were put in you know like they um I don't know what I was expecting but you know just some of the situations that they they go I mean like they go meet Hercules or um, um, before they can access the med or go into the Mediterranean. And then, you know, they're flying and I don't know, what do you call it? Shipping? Sailing? Boating? <laughs> sailing, sailing, sailing. We got it. <laughs> like shipping, boating. I don't know what it call, what you call it when you're in a boat in the water, <laughs> but okay. Sailing. And, you know, like they're just, they're just sailing and flying all over the place. And so it was just kind of you know, interesting and surprising the way that they 
made their way to Rome because it's not like it was a quick, easy trip. There was all of these back and forths, especially trying to leave North America. <laughs> I I, so. I felt really happy when they pit stopped right after they left Camp Jupiter. They pit stopped in Salt Lake, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's my, that's my home. Like, for once, somebody wrote a book where something takes place in Salt Lake City. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Everything's always in New York and California. Always. That's one thing that I've, I've thought it would be interesting to do is go to the different places that they visited, you know, even though they're not like super, you know, incredibly exciting. I mean, on some levels they are, but like, you know, just, just be there, you know, just hang out. Yeah. You know, we've all the three books out of all the three books, who is your favorite character, you know, from this book or like their development to this book kind of thing. You really have to ask me that question. (laughs) I mean, because it's Percy, like hands down. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Not that like there are definitely, I think it just took me a long time to warm up to a lot of the characters. Like I say, I really like Jason, Um, especially at the end of the series. He, He becomes like really awesome. And Leo, of course, captured my heart right away. <laughs> um, and Hazel and Frank are just adorable. And Piper, I'm warming up to her. <laughs> and of course, Annabeth is there with Percy. And she she and, and Percy have like the top pedestal in my mind, um, which is totally uh, biased. But what can I say? They're, they're great. <laughs> what about you, Claire? Uh, well, that is hard to pick. I, um, I don't know, this book alone, I don't even know, because I like Jason, you know, and his development as he's trying to, like, balance out being the leader, but also following the leader kind of thing, you know, as, you know, the leader switches between him, Percy, um, Annabeth, and even, you know, sometimes some of the other characters, depending on their situation kind of thing. Uh, so I really like him and I mean, Leo, obviously he's just like beautiful soul. Like just, so I don't know, you know, just, or, I don't know. I think we'll go with Leo because we get to see his perspective. We get to see his ingenuity, you know, through the book when they're in Rome and everything. Yeah. So we'll go with Leo. <laughs> Plus his humor. You can't, you can't. Oh Yeah. Can't forget about that. Such beautiful humor. What's, okay, I just have to bring this up since we're talking about Leo. I feel a little bit gypped that Percy and Leo only started really becoming like good friends in the last book because they have very similar senses of humor. Like they see things the same way. Like both of them actually say that in the Blood of Olympus. And I'm just like, why? Why didn't they connect sooner? Like, I would have loved to have, like, almost like a Stoll Brother reenactment. I mean, not, like, about pranks, but about jokes. Yeah. You know, like, Percy and Leo just, like, completely making jokes about everything that's going on. I think that would be so funny. But um, they only start, like, discovering that they are, they have the same sense of humor in the last book. And I was like, no. (laughs) That would have been so great. It's true. They're they're very similar in the way that they make jokes. 
Um, what about you, Emily, for your favorite character? Um, well, the reason this is my favorite book out of all the Percy Jackson books is just because of Annabeth and her perspective. Like, when I first started reading them as a little kid, I really just related to her. And so this book just really gives a deeper insight into her character. And so I think she's my original favorite. And like you guys, I've eventually warmed up to the other characters and really seen the value and um, what they bring into the story. But yeah, for sure, since day one, it's been Annabeth. Yeah, no, they definitely have some really good characters. It's hard to pick. Oh, okay. Sorry, but going back and forth. Anyways, hard to pick favorite characters. But okay, last thing. Rate the book. One to ten. Ten being um, obviously super awesome. Okay, so I think, help me remember, Claire, I think I rated Lost Hero a six. Yeah, it was either a 6 or a 6.5. I th- okay, I think it was a 6.5, and then I did The Son of Neptune as a 7. That sounds right, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I have to remember because it matters. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm i going to say Mark of Athena is like a 7.9. Because <laughs> <laughs> I almost want to say 8, but I feel like, like an 8 is a different like there's other books that I would say are at least an eight and I think Mark of Athena just doesn't quite meet the benchmark for me but right it's really close mm-hmm. yeah okay we got a 7.9 Emily what are you what are you rating it after reading it a second time after a while I feel like probably 7.5 like it's a good book yeah just kind of go surface level though like with a lot of the plot so yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, I think um, I think I'm gonna hit an eight out of ten. I don't know because I rated the other books pretty high. I think the one was like a seven or an eight. So you know, just sticking with the pattern, it's gonna be an eight out of ten. Uh, so I mean, obviously, this book is a really good book. <laughs> you know, with all of our ratings and everything. So well, thank you, uh, Cambry and Emily, for joining me today. Uh, do you guys have any final thoughts? I would just like encourage anyone who hasn't read the series to definitely um, read it because yeah, you kind of get addicted. Like Cambry said, it's one of those where you'll just read it and get really addicted and it'll be really hard to put down the book. So once you get started, it's really hard to stop. So yeah, it's a great book. I would encourage you to read it. Thanks for having us on the podcast, Claire. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you again. And thank you for reading along with us. You can follow Open Books with Claire on Instagram using the link in the show notes or using our handle at Open Books with Claire. This episode was hosted by myself, Claire Oster, Emily, and Cambry. It was edited by Alex Williams. The music we use is by Paper Planes. And Open Books with Claire is produced by Mecco Radio. And we are a proud member of the Create Vine. Bye! <laughs>